Brave New World resonates very differently than 1984. 1984, you tend to see people who are sort of Twitter blue checks quote 1984 all the time, myself included. The reason being because it's so indicative of societies in which the government has tyrannical control. But the reality is that Brave New World is much more descriptive of the failings of sort of liberal democracy than is 1984. 1984 is about how a repressive tyranny can take over every area of life and then provide nobody happiness but instead sort of restrict everybody into service of the, of the giant centralizing power. It looks more like communism or more like fascism. Brave New World is something completely different. Brave New World is really about how a liberal democracy can essentially drug itself into tyranny. How a liberal democracy can rely so much on the individual pleasure and pain principle that it can blind itself to the realities of a desire for something higher. And what is lost in that process, the, the, the part that's fascinating about Brave New World is it's sort of left as an open question. The question is whether the Brave New World is really as terrible a place as Huxley makes it out to be, or whether it's paradisical. And, and how you read Brave New World, it, it's hard for me to believe that if you're of the left and you believe that the height of human endeavor is sexual self-fulfillment. That you read Brave New World and you come away with a picture of the Brave New World as a terrible place. It's technologically sophisticated. People can have sex with whomever they want. People have drugs to make them happy, Soma. People are able to sleep well at night. People are able to engage in whatever orgiastic pleasure they choose. What exactly would the left object to in, in Brave New World? It's a question that I, I find myself asking when I read Brave New World because the ideal society they've created, other than the fact that nobody seems to vote, it's a peaceful society. There's not a lot of wars, not a lot of crime. They've gotten rid of the heights of human achievement, but in return, they've been granted a sense of complete social stability. And so in this sense, the book reads very conservative because it's a critique of this. But this is the open question of the book, is, is sort of Mustafa Mann's question. If you want stability and you want low crime, do you have to trade away the heights of human achievement? And maybe what we instead do as a society is we focus in on genital pleasure, which obviously lies at the center of Brave New World. So the fact is that when you read Brave New World, again, I wonder for, for young people who read Brave New World, does it horrify them? Or do they read it and they sort of go, well, that's kind of close to what we have now, right? We have entire swaths of the American and, and global economy dedicated to simply being able to go online, look at naked people and pleasure yourself. So how is that wildly different than what we are seeing in Brave New World? We have an entire generation that's been raised to believe that they can identify in whatever gender they, they wish to identify up to and including no gender, and this is the height of human happiness. How does that argue with, with sort of the, the take here? Is really the only thing that separates Brave New World from the, the world of today, the idea that Brave New World deprives people of autonomy, but the entire case that Huxley is making is that you can condition people to believe that their autonomy is being respected, even when their autonomy is not being respected, which is the conservative case, is that when you actually go so far as to inculcate into people that the height of human achievement is animalistic pleasure, they may feel that they are free, but they're actually not free. They're slaves to their own desires. They're slaves to their own passions, and they have to give up what makes people most human, those higher yearnings and aspirations. So in, in Brave New World, the central principle is community identity stability. So you'll remember that there were these kind of short slogans that were supposed to be indicative of the world in 1984, right? That war is peace and, and strength, weakness is strength, all that kind of stuff. But here... The, there, there are three words that characterize the society, community, identity, and stability, which is really kind of fascinating, right? When you think about how the left posits the world is right now, what we should be aiming for, it's kind of indicative. It's not community, right? We are all together. What are we all together about? Well, no, not religion, not as a nation. Well, we are all together in our identity, right? In respecting the identity of each and and every other human being. If you, if you don't respect my identity, you've done an act of violence to me. And what is my identity? My identity 
is my Freudian pleasure. Stability. Stability can only be achieved at the cost of social leveling or rigorous social separation, right? You have the alphas and the betas and the gammas, and everybody sort of has their own category, and you stick in that category, because if you don't stick in that category, like you can cross categories to have sex with one another, but everybody sort of has to understand their place, and so long as they are drugged into obeisance, then everything is, is fine. A focus on the pleasure principle, as I write in the introduction here, flattens all drives until they're similar, which allows identity to recede into community, and that produces stability. The director of the Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center observes, quote, that is the secret of happiness and virtue, liking what you've got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their unescapable social destiny. So the idea is, you know, you are created in a certain way with certain intellectual abilities and certain physical abilities. You're born either an alpha or a beta. You're either a green or a red. You're born into your caste. And since you are born in there and you can't escape it, we will condition you to like what it is that you have to do. And the way that we will do this is we will offer you a bribe. And the bribe is you're going to do exactly what society needs you to do, but in return, society is going to give you a pill and society is going to allow you to have sex with whomever you please and, in fact, mandate that people have as many sex partners as, as humanly possible. So human beings are treated in Brave New World exactly like animals. Huxley describes the Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center, which, of course, sounds exactly like you're hatching chickens and like you are conditioning animals. They, the laboratories are, are, are in workers in corpse-colored rubber gloves. They're frozen. They, they work under frozen dead light. Human beings are treated as widgets. Quote, we also predestine and condition. We decant our babies as socialized human beings, right? Babies are bottles of wine. You decant them. Pavlovian conditioning is the chief methodology of the state. So basically, you're going to literally physically condition, like shock therapy. Right? You're going to use electroshock therapy on, on small children until they do exactly what you want them to do. Books and loud noises, flowers and electric shocks. Already in the infant mind, these couples were compromisingly linked. After 200 repetitions of the same or a similar lesson, would be wedded in, indissolubly. What man has joined nature is powerless to put us under. Again, the idea is you can break some of the higher aspirations of human beings by conditioning them to hate those higher aspirations. Again, echoes of this in modern society, this, ability, this idea that we have to hijack the education system and we have to condition children to believe certain things in line with secular humanistic principles about proper behavior. This is all present in Brave New World. And one of the things that is very apparent and disturbing in Brave New World is just how children are seen as sort of sexual objects. Now, this actually has a... a a rich history in leftist thought, going all the way back to Wilhelm Reich, who was a, a psychoanalyst in the first half of the 20th century, who essentially argued children are sexual beings, and therefore you have to allow that sexuality to flourish, come to its full flourishing so that they can, they can be their fullest, truest selves. And you see that today, right? Now, this is why we were talking about trans kids, for example. Kids are not trans. Okay, that's not a thing. Or when you talk about gay children, like gay three-year-olds, that is not a thing. They're not sexually developed. There's no such thing as a gay three-year-old. There's a three-year-old. You only develop a sexual orientation when you actually hit puberty. Okay, but th this, this notion that you condition kids and that you free them up to be sexual creatures, if you think that the slippery slope that we are on right now does not take us to the bottom of that hill, you are deathly wrong, and within five to ten years, you're going to find out just how wrong you are. As Brave New World says, he let out an amazing truth. For a very long period before the time of R. Ford, right, we'll get to Fordism in a second, and even for some generations afterward, erotic play between children had been regarded as abnormal. There was a roar of laughter, not only abnormal, actually immoral. No, and had therefore been rigorously suppressed. A look of astonished incredulity appeared on the faces of his listeners. Poor little kids not allowed to amuse themselves? They could not believe it. In any institution that threatens this particular order, community solidarity through the pleasure principle has to be treated as the enemy. History has to be obliterated. Family has to be obliterated. The home has to be leveled. Citizens are actually made nauseous at the thought of home 
Because the idea of home is that you might actually have a small platoon, right, as Edmund Burke put it, that is capable of standing up to the broader community. And you don't want that. So people have to be conditioned to believe that home is a place of terrible smells and yelling and screaming and, and parochial interests. Right, a few small rooms, stiflingly over-inhabited by a man, by a periodically teeming woman, by a rabble of boys and girls of all ages, no air, no space, and under-sterilized prison, darkness, disease, and smells. And so who is posited as, as the gods in this particular system? There are two. Right, Ford and Freud. So Ford, because everybody has to be conditioned, and so everybody's going to be put into their, into their spot in the assembly line. And so the, the sort of principle of economic division of labor is now broadened out to include a division of actual humanity and sexual pleasure in Freud. Quote, our Ford, or our Freud, as for some inscrutable reason he chose to call himself whenever he spoke of psychological matters, right? They're supposed to be kind of two halves of the same whole. Our Freud had been the first to reveal the appalling dangers of family life. The world was full of fathers and was therefore full of misery, full of mothers, therefore of every kind of perversion from sadism to chastity, full of brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, full of madness and suicide. The state says that traditional institutions foster rules and responsibilities, loves and hates directed and intense, and these elements make for chaos, right? They undermine stability because you might love your family more than you love other people, which of course people do. You might like your community more than you like other communities. We can't have that. Quote, feeling strongly and strongly what was more in solitude, in hopeless individual isolation, how could they be stable? But now under the state, people are free. They are free from thought, from the evils of something called liberalism, which promoted liberty to be inefficient and miserable. Now, again, this is one of the interesting things is the way that, that Huxley describes liberalism. He is basically suggesting that if people were left free to choose, they would choose family. And so in order to fully experience freedom under our state or under, under our Freud, freedom is going to be relegated to the sexual realm, but taken away in every other realm. They're free from religion. Quote, all crosses had their tops cut and became T's. And if you're not happy, then eventually we just give you Soma, right? Quote, all the advantages of Christianity and alcohol, none of their defects. So Mustafa Mann is the world controller for Western Europe, and he's sort of the voice of the brave new world. He's the defender of the brave new world and the philosophical expositor of the brave new world. He says, quote, Now, such is progress. The old men work, the old men copulate, the old men have no time, no leisure from pleasure, not a moment to sit down and think. Or if ever, by some unlucky chance, such a crevice of time should yawn in the solid substance of their distractions, there is always soma, delicious soma, half a gram for a half holiday, a gram for a weekend, two grams for a trip to the gorgeous east, three for a dark eternity on the moon, returning whence they find themselves on the other side of the crevice, safe on the solid ground of daily labor and distraction, scampering from feely to feely. Those are, those are 3D movies, essentially, in which you are brought into the action. Again, sounds a lot like the metaverse. From girl to pneumatic girl, from electromagnetic golf course to etc. So there are a bunch of characters in, in Brave New World who provide perspectives on the state, right? Sort of different perspectives. It's like a bunch of blind men feeling the elephant. And through their descriptions, you realize that what you're looking at is, in fact, an elephant. So you have Bernard Marx, who is just jealous that he's unable to fulfill the pleasure principle. So at the beginning, he dislikes the system because he feels left out by the system. Then he's included in the system. And then he's angry at anybody who would rail against the system. Lenina Crown who believes in the pleasure principle of the world state, but finds herself drawn to monogamy. Right? Because it turns out that, just as in reality, in this book, women tend to be drawn toward the institution of monogamy and familial love and long-lasting relationships. But in order for us to have the pleasure principle be at the center of everything, we have to reduce sex down to pneumatic descriptions, right? Sex just becomes how many partners you have, the actual physical pleasure of the thing as opposed to emotional connection or forming deeper relationships. And it's something modern society has done an excellent job in doing is disconnecting sex from relationships. And I used to say on, on the show and routinely to, to my wife that it is amazing how if you look at pop culture and the way that pop culture creates the order of human relationships, it's been completely reversed. So it used to be 
you fall in love, you get married, you have sex. Now the order is you have sex, maybe you fall in love, maybe you get married. So you will see shows like Friends in the 1990s was famous for doing this, where you'd have people hopping into the sack with one another. And then the big decision was whether to say I love you, which is such a reversal of the normal course of, of human interactions. Normally, in order for women to want to have sex with men, this is just general social science data, they want to have an emotional connection with the man beforehand. So typically, the way that the society treated that was you dedicate yourself you say that you love somebody, you, you discover love for somebody, and then because of that, you want to commit to that person, and then because of that commitment, now you can have a fulfilling sex life. Instead, they've decided to reverse that. That's how it works in Brave New World as well. So Lenina gets caught between her own sort of instinct for monogamy and relationships and the fact that the society keeps telling her over and over and over that what she really should do is have sex with whomever she quote-unquote wants, even though she doesn't really want to. Mustafa Mann, he makes it clear that well, what, the, what the goal is, right? In all of these dystopian books, you need one character who basically just says the thing out loud. So in 1984, right, you have a character who, who tells the main character like all the details of exactly what the Brave New World is going for, right? There's this long monologue near the end of 1984 where this character who's a representative of the state explains exactly what the state is doing and how it really is all about just crushing people. And, and here, Mustafa Man is the representative of the state. He makes it clear that intellectual life cannot survive if you are going to have stability. Because if people have too many thoughts and if people have too many desires and dreams that go beyond exactly how to pleasure themselves, then th the social order is undermined.